Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who might be listening to this on the Temple Beth Am podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, we are uh, towards the end of the second Aliyah of Parshat Va'era, moving right along, we'll be done in a decade. Um, and towards the end of chapter seven, sorry, of chapter six of the book of Exodus. Um, and we're lingering around verse 27. Um, and I'm not sure how long it's gonna take us to get through it, but Rashi is still gonna be kind of playing around with why Moshe and Aaron's name, describing why at the end of the genealogy, we have this interesting phrasing at the beginning of verse 26, who Aharon Moshe, we already dealt with that. These is the very Aaron and Moshe, we discussed the order there. And then beginning of verse 27, which we'll read slowly in a second, we have another Haim, they are the ones that seem to be extraneous. And if you look ahead to the end of verse 27, we have kind of an inverse of the beginning of verse 26, who Moshe Aharon. So Rashi is gonna still spend some time working that out before we move on to really what the next uh, topic is, okay? Yeah. There's one point, this realizes it says... Hold on, if you're going to speak, you need oh, to be yes. in the microphone. In 26, it refers to who Aharon Umoshe, but in 27, it says, Haim, oh, Haim, well, no, it's a, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it still says who Moshe Aharon, just a different order, but they just change it from who to Haim there, it goes who, Haim, and who. Who, Haim, and who, yes. It almost sounds like a Purim skit. Who, him, and who? Right? Uh, someone's coming in. So let's start with verse 27. Let me read verse 26 slowly, and we'll start reading verse 27 in the class. Verse 26, Who, Aaron, Moshe? Yes, the very Aaron and Moshe. Who? Asher, Amar, Adonai, Lehem, to whom God had said, as a command, Hotziu, take out at B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, may Eretz be Israel from the land of Egypt. We're not going to go back there, but we talked about the many different things this could mean um, um, by, by their great numbers or using their military might, something like that, because the word sabah can mean both of those things. Now we're on verse 27, which I don't think we, we, we really read, right? Um, we kind of danced towards it, but we didn't actually read it. So let's read verse 27. Leonard, do you want to start? Uh, let's get Leonard a microphone. And if this feels like the from the Department of Redundancy Department, right, it, it, it does feel that way, right, because already the previous verse seemed redundant, and this verse seems redundant on that, okay, but let's just get the words out. Okay, so the, can you get the microphone a little bit closer to you, Leonard? I just want to make sure everyone can hear on them. Thank you. These are the uh, speakers, uh, the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt, uh, that is Moses and Aaron. Okay, so re relatively simple vocabulary, uh, using the word Haim as, yes, the, almost as an intensifier, these are the very ones who were speaking to Pharaoh. And what were they saying to Pharaoh? Exactly what we were reminded in the previous verse that God had told him to say 
it's time to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? Um, we, we anticipated this last week, the, the oddities or the redundancies are A, the whole verse as an entirety is redundant. Within the verse, um, why do we need the, the, the extra pronoun haim? And certainly why do we need, after we've identified that this is Moses and Aaron or Aaron and Moshe, why do we need the end part, who Moshe Viron? Those are sort of the obvious-ish questions on the verse. Barry and then Larry. Uh, uh, Barry, give the mic close to you. So in, in the first game, uh, this, this follows the, the, the lineages. And in lineage-wise, Aharon came first. Uh, and also in speaking, uh, God had told Moshe that Aharon would be his speaker. But in terms of bringing the people out, uh, Moshe came first, and so that's where it's very significant that, that the last one is uh, uh, Moshe precedes Aharon. Yeah, Barosha Kivantaberry, there are many commentators, medieval commentators, who say very similar things like that. We actually discussed this a bit last week, that when, when just reminding us of the reason why we had the genealogy, which was to connect Moshe and Aaron, Aaron and Moshe to these people, in a genealogy, the older one comes first. Um, by the time we get to verse 27, interestingly, it, when, when we're talking about who is responsible for bringing them out of Egypt, we want to give primacy to Moshe. It is interesting that verse 27, the verse in which Moshe is mentioned first, has the word heim hamedabrim. These are the speakers, because you might think the opposite, that if you're, if you're I, amplifying who's doing the speaking, that specifically might be a, mo a moment to put Aaron first, because Aaron is the speaker. But the, the way the commentaries go is similar to what Barry said. It's connecting to who is being Lahotsia, B'nai Yisraeli, Mitzrayim, who is the Redeemer? The Redeemer is Moshe, not Aaron. Moshe, the Aharon. Larry, and then Sue. I'm so glad you said what you just said. You want me to said, say it again? If it was so good, I'll say it again. <laughs> one, one word. You said speakers. All the translations doesn't have it as speakers. So if you read in the JPS, it's it's they who spoke. If you read the translation in the Rashi, it says they are the they, these are they who spake, like that one. And Alter says um, it was they who were speaking to Pharaoh. <clears throat> and Kaplan says um, Kaplan says. Um, well, he also says they spoke. I can't, it must be the page before. They are the ones who spoke. Yeah. But I read it differently. And I read it as they were the Pharaoh speakers. Now, now it says L, so it's not really like a smichut. Yeah. But I, and you said speakers. They are the speakers, meaning like a hoarse whisperer. They're the ones who could actually huh. get in Pharaoh's head, for good or for bad, to get him all riled up. And to what end? And the end is Lhotzi et B'nai Israel. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just like even Everett Fox, who usually is really careful about presenting the tense in the Torah as accurately as possible, with the parentheses that it's really hard to figure out tense in biblical Hebrew. We think we could just map, you know, present tense, past tense, future tense. It's just not that easy. It's not. It's not a simple trilogy like it is for us. But Hamidabrim. If you were in a Hebrew class and you were told to translate Hamidabrim, there are really only, only two translations, the speakers or the ones who are speaking. There's no, other, there's no other way to render it if you're just translating the word. But even Everett Fox turns it into a past tense thing. He says, 
So if I if we go back to translate from verse 26, that is the Aaron and Moshe to whom God said, bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their forces. That's the Tzibotam. Those, parentheses, were they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he also reads it as if it's Haim Shadibru, not Haim Hamedabrim. Um, there's got to be a good reason for that. Uh, and I, I, while I don't think that um, the, the Pharaoh whispers is like the simplest pshat, what I like about it is that it is trying to make sense of why it's Hamid Abrim and not um, Asher Dibru, those who spoke. Sue, microphone. I'm sorry about them. I know it's so clunky to it transfer each time, but we really want uh, the, the Zoomers to feel like they're as part of this as possible. Um, I, we may have said this because we had in the last we had in the last sentence, so I can't remember how we talked about it exactly, but we have Hamid Abrim, and then at the end we have who Moshe Aaron. It's a singular. Um, we had we started the last sentence with who Aaron Moshe, where it's the singular to talk about two people, because um, they're a Haim, and they're always a Haim. It's not like we don't have Haim. They're very Hamish. They're very Hamish. <laughs> Hamish, Hamish. So um, there's a Haim and a who thing yeah. going that's, on, and we're still the, talking about the same people. That's the who Haim who problem. <laughs> <laughs> who Haim who? Um, by the way, Unculus translates it maintaining the present tense, right? So you might think that if in the vernacular back then when they were talking Aramaic and they were looking at the verse, they had already rendered it into a more operative past tense. Unculus inun demalalin imparo. Those are the ones who are speaking present tense to Pharaoh. Malalin, you know, you know that from the word mila. The Hebrew word mila is from the um, Aramaic mem lamed lamed to speak. You also might know it if you know the word to mumble. Anyone know what the word to mum, the verb to mumble in Hebrew? Limbalmel, to speak, speak. It's actually a great word. Um, I remember when I learned that word. That word is in the last stanza of Yetov. I, I look out my window and I mumble my prayer. I remember where I was at Hebrew University learning in, in, in uh, and Ulpan and using songs that we already knew to learn Hebrew. And I remember learning that word. Okay, but it's built from the root mem lamed or mem lamed lamed or mem lamed hey. Okay, uh, anything else on the verse itself when we look at Rashi on the verse? Okay, uh, back to Leonard. Let's get this guy a microphone. Um, okay. Okay, let me guess, Rashi? Rashi. Aim Hamid the Brim Vagomen. Aim She Nitzavu. Aim She Kayimu. Okay. Rashi is very terse. So let's figure out, let's translate what he's saying. That's a little bit easier than figuring out why he's saying what he's saying or what in fact he's saying. Well, the verses, those that spake. And uh, this is those, his comment is those that were commanded they fulfilled the commandment. Okay, so how do we render what Rashi says not utterly pointless? Because we'd like to believe that Rashi wasn't saying something pointless, but at first glance, it seems pointless. So all that Rashi is saying is four Hebrew words. What does those who are the speakers or those who speak mean? It means the, the ones that were commanded were the ones that um, um, accomplished. Huh? Rashi, what's your sermon? What, do, what are you getting at? 
Anyone have, have, have a thought on it? What's he adding? What, you know, or sometimes think like, what notion is he trying to disabuse us of? Saying it doesn't mean this or that. What's he reinforcing? How is he explicating the words? How is he not just participating in, in, in redundancy? Any thoughts? Hi. Hi, Rick. Is that you? Yes. Sorry, I couldn't see your hand up. Go ahead. <laughs> Hi. So um, along the lines, oh, it's, it's doubling back on me. Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay. You're getting doubled? Yeah, it's echoing. I know how irritating that is. I'm sorry. I don't know what there is. Are others feeling doubled when they're speaking on this? No. Just, just Rick. Just I just me. hear Rick in double. I don't hear other people in double. Do you hear yourself yeah. in double, Renee, when you talk? No, I do not. Do you hear me in double? Uh, no. Rick, I don't, I don't know what the setting is. but I It's okay. I'll get past it. I wanted to raise the issue of we're talking about the different who's and the, the repetition. Um, I was looking at the da bears all the time, the word da bears there. So if you, I know we're not supposed to go forward too much, but verse 12 that we passed, yeah, right? You've got Haim and you've got Losham U Eli, and they're not going to, Pharaoh isn't going to listen to me. And I'm Aral Safatayim. Okay, that's all Moses speaking. Yep. Okay, we have all that again. You're talking about the, the brackets of the different who's with Moses and Aaron and Aaron and Moses. So to verse 30, you got Hain Ani again, Aral Safatayim again. You got Yishma Eli again. So the whole section. Is, is a doubling of the story. And, and I wanted to ask you if any commentators talked about the whole thing, not just the, the who and the who and the hame, but now that you've got other repetitions on the outside of it, uh, verse comparing 12 and uh, 30. So, Something's and, and there's da bears all over the place. So, something I'll, very psychedelic is happening with you, Rick. You yeah, I know. I, I know it's the camera. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Bring some to Pilch Hall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, think of it. You in a wormhole? I don't know. I I turn it off and on, and it eventually goes away. But it's a weird thing. There it is again. That's weird. I don't know. Really want? Okay. So the the short answer to your question is yes. Rashi's going to. I gotta get look. Rashi is going to um, be commenting yeah. on why all of this gets re gets repeated and why these verses, um, just to give a little bit of you know spoiler alert, are basically a a let you know you know <clears throat> what we were talking about before, right? Like um, I don't know why this is where my mind thought of. I remember anyone watch uh, super the the superheroes comics on Saturday morning when I was growing up, like Superman and bat and, and it was like, you know, back in the hall of justice, that's what, you know, back in the hall of justice. Right. So that you were, you were over there and then the narrator would say, okay, but back to where we actually were. And then it would continue the story. So Rashi is basically going to say a version of we're now going back to what we had been talking about. And in order to do so, because it was a long enough break, we need to repeat some of the stuff that happened before, but he says a little more precisely than that. Le uh, Larry. I have an answer to your question. Okay. On Rashi. On Rashi. So why is Rashi saying something that you think should be obvious? Right. It's because it's not obvious. If you go back to verse 26, verse 26 says, 
this is Moses and Aaron, to whom Adonai said, and what did he say? He said, get the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. That's what he told them. Now you read the next, the next verse, it says, it was they, they were the speakers to Pharaoh, right? And you say, wait a second, God didn't say speak to Pharaoh. He said, get them out of Egypt. So maybe the speaking to Pharaoh, they did it on their own. That was their idea. No, says Rashi, they were commanded to speak to Pharaoh, and then they spoke to Pharaoh. Interesting. Very nice. Okay, I, I like that. I, and, and, and no matter what anyone says about my question, I'll have no idea if you're correct, because I don't, I don't know the answer to the question. It wasn't a rhetorical question. I have my own thought, but that's really, that's really reasonable, right? That lest, lest you think that the speaking was not commanded, you're saying, Rashi says, they did exactly what they were asked to do. Nice. Uh, Rebecca? I have a commentary here from Or HaChaim, mm -hmm. who says that um, the Torah wanted to remind us that though God had instructed Moshe to speak, Aaron spoke also. So um, he's indicating that uh, it was just Moshe who was instructed, but in this case, perhaps if that's true, Rashi's you know putting it together that, as if they both were instructed. Very interesting. Rabbi, the Or HaChaim is Rabbi Chaim ben Attar, who had a very interesting life. He was in Venice, he was in Morocco, and eventually in Israel. That was a lot, a lot of travel for that, ge that generation. Um, and uh, when we finish all of the Torah with Rashi, we'll start again with the Orachayim, because he's really, he's, he's, really, he's really worthy to study. Um, so that, that's, that's another possibility. Thank you, Becca. Barry? Is it the same story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, in terms of uh, like an artistic structure, the balance, uh, first, we have Aaron is first. Shortly, it's Moshe's first. But in this here, uh, 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 speaking, um, they're both equal. They're, they're, they're both performing, doing this together. And so, and, and, and so it's not redundancy. It's, it's like a, it's a fulcrum. They're both doing this. Got it. Um, my best guess, which is not uh, saying that the other guests on the table are any less correct as to what's going on here is that Rashi without without um, footnoting himself is bringing us back to something that Rashi said in chapter 5 verse 1. So I want you to go back to it. Five one. Five one. This was the beginning of the seventh aliyah of the previous parsha. Right. The achar ba'u Moshev Yaron. Right. After the encounter with the burning bush um, and the reunion between Moshe and Aaron, uh, Moshe and Aaron came. Vayomru al Paro. They already spoke to Pharaoh. Remember, they've already been in front of Pharaoh. Ko Amar Anai. This is what God Elohei Israel, the God of Israel, has said. Shalach et ani. Uh, send my people. Vayachogu li bamidbar. And they will uh, celebrate me on, in the wilderness. And if you look what Rashi says in that, Rashi says on the phrase "Vyachar Bao Moshe Vyaharon, Aval Hazkenim," but the other elders, who also had been beckoned to be a part of this, Nishmetu Echad Echad, one by one they slinked away as they got closer to the palace. Until they, from behind Moshe and Aaron, Ad Chulam, until all of them were gone, like all of a sudden Moshe and Aaron look around like, there's no elders here. Kodem Shehigiu Lapalatin. 
before they arrived at the palace, Palatine Palace. Lafishi Arula because they were afraid to go. Uva Sinai, and they this they they got paid back. Uva Sinai Nifralehem. This got paid back to them at Sinai. As the verse says, Venigash Moshe Levado. Moshe himself was able to get close to God. Behem Lo Yigashu. Those elders did not get an, a private audience with God. Shehechziram Lachrehem. As God had kind of placed them down in the um, uh, in the pecking order, my guess, and it's not like it's not only my guess, and uh, and some super commentaries on Rashi uh, believe that Rashi is here is reinforcing that um, as we're coming back to the story, and you reader are trying to figure out who is where and why. Right, we've just finished a genealogy to link Moshe and Aaron to the very people that they're being asked to rescue, and remember, it's just Moshe and Aaron who ultimately were commanded to go. And it's just Moshe and Aaron who fulfilled that commandment. And the other elders who might have been, were not there. It's just two of them. They're all alone, they're exposed, right? So it's not telling us something we don't know, but it's kind of reinforcing the image. It's like, uh, I don't know, if you, if you were doing this visually, you know, the throngs of potential Israelites who could go in front of, Mo, of Pharaoh and the camera focuses, it's just these, these two guys, these two guys and God, that's it. That's a possibility. Doesn't mean it's right. Barry. Well, something's missing in that logic. I mean, okay, uh, the, the elders could go up because uh, they failed to stay with them, but Aaron stayed. So how come Aaron didn't go? Up to have the private audience with God? Yeah. Um, that is a, a internal internal flaw of the of the Rashi from the from the previous verse. Okay, um, that's on the Hamid Abrim. Um, now let's read on the Humoshev uh, Yaharon. Leonard? Humoshev Yaharon. Hem Veshtichutam Uvetzidkatam Mitrivar Adsof. And this is the first time in a while that I think that Rashi is not just explicating the verse, but giving a little bit of a sermonette. And I'll and I'll explain to you why in a second, but let's see if we can we can we can pull it out. Okay, so these are Moshe and Aaron, those that were uh, in their mission and in their righteousness from the beginning to the end. So Rashi is 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 uh, sensitive to like um, a symmetry here, right? That we've, we, we double doubled. We have a whole section, which is somewhat redundant. And within that section, we started with who Aaron Moshe, and we ended with who Moshe Aaron. So he has to comment. He's already commented on the, 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 the general redundancy, but now he has to comment on the double redundancy. What does it mean to say at the end of re-invoking them, it's the very same ones. It's Moshe and Aaron. And what he says, and we have to tease this out, these are the ones who, in their mission and in their righteousness, in their rectitude, they main, I'm adding some words to make it, to give it some body, they maintained who they were, mitchila, from the beginning, the adsof, until the end. What might that mean? Is that a praise? Is that not a praise? Um, um, what, what does it mean to say of leaders that they were steady on their mission and 
um, reliable in their righteousness, mitchilav yadsof. What are we? What are you saying about someone when you say that? Sue, yeah. <laughs> that you can trust them. They are trust. That you can trust them. Yeah, and if we if we if we translate that you can trust them into Hebrew, there is a certain ne'emanut which is representative of the unchanging ne'emanut of the Holy One that they are representing. Right? There's something about Rashi here that is trying to say that what the Torah is saying is that there is a reliability and an unchanging nature of God's messengers, which represents and exemplifies the one who sent them, the Holy One, right? There's, there, there, there's, there's no up and down. Now, it's one thing to say of God as we impute to God a certain um, um, inviolability and, and non-changing nature that it's all consistent, right? Human beings are different, right? And by the way, long and arduous journeys do change us. Right, and sometimes they drain us. Right, so I wonder if Rashi is reading this as a way of saying that they they have become, you know, meta divine, right, or 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 proto divine. That they are hovering in a realm where no matter what they confronted in this chapter of going in and out of Pharaoh's uh, presence, they maintained a, a solid state. And they didn't go through the undulations that all of us would normally go through if we are being challenged in such a way. Now, where's Rashi getting this from? I want to show you some of the original sources. Um, okay. Where are you here? That's too many things that are open. Okay. Um, so let me see if I can move this around. Here's the verse. And if you look at um, the Rashi and Safaria, it tells you, right, that this comes from Megillah 11a. Masachet Megillah, the Talmud um, Chakti Megillah, page 11, first side. And let's see what's going on there. Okay, so the Talmud is, in this part of Masachet Megillah, is doing what the Talmud rarely does, actually, which is basically a linear commentary on verses from the Bible. It may sound strange to say that's what the Midrash does. It's generally not what the Talmud does. The Talmud goes in and out of, 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 of referencing verses, commenting on verses, but it doesn't spend pages, you know, commenting on the verse, commenting on the next verse, commenting on the next verse. But for about three pages in Masechet Megillah, around 8, 9, 10, 11, that's exactly what the Talmud is doing, basically starting from the beginning of the Megillah and saying, what does this phrase mean? What does this phrase mean? What does this phrase mean? And one of the first words of the Megillah, if you can hear it, had, and it was in the days of Ahashverosh, the next phrase is, Hu that very Ahashverosh, that and that who is reminiscent in the Talmud of other who's, right? It's an, it's an unneeded repetition of a pronoun, it was in the days of Ahashverosh, yes, that very Ahashverosh. So the rabbis of the Talmud um, try to read into it. Hu achashveros, that phrase, which is the fourth and fifth words of the Megillah, hu berisho mitchilatov adsof, that very unchanging, uninterestingly, relentlessly evil achashveros, who maintained his risha, his evil, from the beginning of his reign until the end. Similarly, this is when the Talmud likes to um, take down any character 
that is not within the family. Huesav, right? Finding another verse. We don't, we don't go into it, but it's um, it's uh, from Parsha, I think, Vayishlach, where there is apparently an uh, an unneeded extra Huesav, that very Esav. What kind of Esav? The one who you could rely on him to be a jerk. The the uh, part of the, um, the 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 cohort of uh, of Korach's uh, rabble rousers. There's another phrase where you don't need the who. They are unremittingly evil. A reference, where is this from? From Chronicles, referencing one of the evil kings of Israel. There were more evil kings of Israel from King David until the destruction. There were positive ones. One of the bad guys was Ahaz. He was always evil. He never had a good day. Then, Avram, who Avraham. But there are also places where people that we like get unnecessary doubles. So Avram, who Avram is from, um, not from Torah, from Chronicles. It's referencing Abram. And who was Abram? Abram, who was Avraham? That, that very guy, he was, a, he was a tzaddik when he was Avram. And he was a tzaddik all the way till he was Avraham. And he never had a bad day. Who Haron Moshe? our verse, right? Why is the who Aaron Moshe mentioned? These are the ones who, again, were consistently good from the beginning of their mission until the end. As opposed to? Yeah, Rashi adds the Bishli Chutan. Yeah, in the Talmud itself, it's they were they 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 maintain their righteousness. Somehow Rashi wants to add, and they maintained I don't know, the focus of their mission like that. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the text that we have in Rashi suggests that it's two things, not one modifying the other. Bishlichotam ubetzidkatam. But I, I, somehow, Joel, I think that like the meaning, as you're suggesting, is more correct. That, you know, I don't know how to produce it in Hebrew, but in their, in their um, messengerness, they maintain their righteousness. Maybe not necessarily. Maybe it's, I mean, their mission came a little bit later in life. So they had a whole, you know, they grew up first. And so maybe it's Tzidkatam for their whole life, not just in the course of this mission. Possible. Um, the last little piece that the Talmud does, David. David hua katan. So as a reference to King David, that he was small, and the small here is going to be read as humble. He maintained his humility from the beginning to the end. Uh, just as he, uh, when he was um, a young child, he, um, he, he, he made himself properly humble against, in the presence of someone who more, knew more Torah than he did. Even when he sat on the throne, he yielded to someone who knew more than he did. Okay? So Rashi, Knowing the Talmud by heart, literally says, "Ah, who Moshevi Aaron?" I'm going to pull that and just, without giving the writer context, say, "What's going on here?" This is a way of presenting a um, a reliable, a trustworthy, a non-changing, a consistent leadership that doesn't get weakened, even as it might get pummeled. Which, by the way, is going to be very important given exactly what they've been asked to do. Uh, well, let me share one more thing, and then. Um, 
Okay, so um, the Gur Aryeh is, we've, we've studied him before. This is the Maharal of Prague, super commentary on Rashi. Okay, so he's doing to Rashi what Rashi is doing to the text. So on our Rashi, he says something kind of very similar, but without quoting the Talmud here on the right side. Um, so he quotes Rashi, who says that, why are we mentioning them again to say that they um, were in their mess, in their mission uh, from the beginning to the end? Because if that's not how it should be read, he's explicating what Rashi's problem is in the verse. Why would the Torah needed to say at the end of the verse, this is the very Moses and Aaron, if it's not supposed to denote some sign of some kind of consistency. Ella wrote Selamar, rather what it means to say, in their, mes- in their uh, mission, they were, they were consistent from beginning to end, and the righteousness. That's why the verse said again, who? as if to say, that even at the end of what they were asked to do, it's the same Moses and Aram as they were in the beginning. Now, in our ethos, the way we understand human beings, you could just as easily make this comment as a critique, not as a praise. After all that person's been through, no change. It's the same exact dude. That didn't allow himself or herself to be impacted by what he experienced. And we believe in the ongoing evolution of people, and particularly of leaders. Right? In the ancient world, in the medieval world, particularly when the leaders are more direct representatives of God than hopefully you think I am, the praise is they were, they were always reflecting exactly what you wanted them to reflect, and they weren't impacted by their work. Sue. Well, that, that um, cuts both ways, because you know, it, the, their work could very easily go to their head, and they could assume a lot of hubris and kind of make themselves these, you know, the Messiah of the, of the moment. And so that's the other side of that is yeah. that you know they they preserved their humble beginnings and didn't become their own form of pharaoh oh absolutely i i think that rashi's praise of them as leaders works and i also think one could turn it exactly on its head right um which which Ashi, obviously rashi is not going to do um anyone else uh, uh comments on on rashi's Comments on Rashi's comment or on the Talmud from which it was drawn or from the Gwaryes. Um, <laughs> Alan and Barry, as if I don't know your name. Go ahead. Who, uh, uh, who Alan? Yeah. <laughs> who Alan the Barry? The very same ones. <laughs> um, ju- just the comment in the Talmud about David. I know it's a, it's a minor point I don't want to do, but it says, David, you know, King David, with Bacheva, you know, it's saying that he's going to be humble, but he was anything but with respect to that. So how any insights is why the Talmud praises him as being humble when he's really being aggressive and going forward to be able to be with Bacheva, a married woman, and sending was it U- right. Uzziah? Yeah, to, Uriah. To the, Uriah to the front lines to die. I mean, you can be a womanizer and still be humble. Right. Those I mean, those two things are not mutually exclusive. You can someone can 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 maintain a sense of modesty and then still do terrible things and, and wield power. But the better answer to the question is that the Talmud and Midrash 
does not care about being um, consistent, right? They care about drawing lessons from the text and from this spot in the text without having answerable to every part of the text so that a community can be raised on values and the Talmud and the Midrash for better and for worse believes in lionizing our heroes and blackening our anti-heroes. So even though we know that King David is a really complicated character, for the most part, not completely, the, the Midrashic treatment of him is to raise him on a pedestal. Um, that's why it's interesting for us to both be students of Midrash and students of biblical scholarship, right? So that we can we can understand the characters and the Torah and the text as it's presented to us, and also understand what our ancestors did with it. So um, you're right. The, the, um, it, it, it's not for us to think that David was, you know, a, a, a you know, walking around thinking little of himself. But in this section, I forgot exactly what the context is. Saying, ah, he maintained his 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 humble humble presence. Yeah. Uh, Barry, I'm just seeing also well, someone. Well, but I guess that, yeah. that must be the case since he wrote all the Psalms. Then he had to be humble because he wrote all the Psalms. <laughs> yeah, or he, or he got haughty because he was so proud of himself for writing all the Psalms. Barry. So, uh, Moshe and Aaron, faithful all the way through the very end, uh, Aaron builds the calf uh, while Moshe's up on the mountain. Um, but we overlook this because we want to maintain consistency that they're both um, faithful to their mission. But the Midrashim on dealing with that do everything they can to make, you know, Aaron a good guy. Yeah. I mean, they, they really, what you said about the Midrash going out of its way to make the good characters positive, what they do is they say, oh yes, he, he did this. And yeah, there's a lot of apologetics in Midrash, which yeah. we can um, levy critique against in terms of intellectual integrity. And we can also understand that there's an unabashed purpose to this material. And it's to, it's to have the descendants of all of these characters feel good about having descended from them and wanting to perpetuate what they started. Those of you who've been in the class long enough and remember the parashot dealing with uh, Yaakov and Esav, they're brutal on Esav. And Yaakov is a saint. And in the text, Yaakov is not a saint and Esav's not such a bad guy. But the Talmud and the Midrash also dealing with the archetypes. And as we discussed before, Esav is the father of Edom. Edom is the father of Rome. And Rome is the father of Christianity who is raping and pillaging all the way through the villages where Rashi was writing, right? So they, they, they come by their need to turn things into black and white binaries, honestly. And we can read the material both with curiosity, with a certain amount of reverence for what, what they were trying to do, and also say, not the only way of reading the text, right? And, and, I, and we, hopefully we don't feel the need to demonize every person who we think is a descendant of Asa, because that's not, that's, not, that's not our world, but it was their world. Okay, good. Anything else in this verse? All right. Um, verse 29. Sorry, verse 28. Um, who, uh, who have we not heard from? Elon, do you want to read verse 28? Can we get Elon a microphone? Uh, and on uh, it was the day that uh, God spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. Right. And even as you read it in Hebrew and translated in English, there's something odd about the fact that to the extent that the Torah has punctuation, the end of these words has a period. 
because it doesn't seem like we finished a thought, right? And it was on the day that God spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. What? What was on that day, right? There's an implied ellipsis, there's a comma. And while sometimes that happens, that where, where you know, God spoke to Moses saying, and then we don't know what they said in the next verse, usually an aliyah doesn't end after this is very strange, right? That it's a verse that clearly is connected, only connected, needs the, the next verse to make sense, and yet there's an aliyah break. This is the end of the second aliyah of the era, and there's a parsha break in the Torah, if you were that big samach you see there, if you were looking at the Torah, there'd be it's be the end of a paragraph, right? Um, and it's a very it's it's almost like ending an aliyah as that that literally never happens. This is close to it, and it's an oddity. Yes, Larry. I've got a drash on why that's not true. Okay. Let's hear it. And I'll be really curious if anybody else, if any other commentators even hinted this. So I think the translation JPS is completely wrong. What does the JPS do? For when Adonai spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, uh-huh. exactly what you were saying, right? Okay. Waiting for you to go on. No, it's, it's, so now go, just go back for one second. We were just given all this business about Aaron and Moses, Moses and Aaron. It was both of them. They were both their team, and then, so I'll give you two translations. First is the translation of the, of the verse, for me quite literally is, and on that day, God spoke to Moses in Mitzrayim, period. And now the other one is. Well, so, and, so if it's that, then what would that mean? I'm gonna tell you. Oh. So <laughs> even though they were a team. Terrific. So even though they were a team, God took Moses aside mm. and spoke to him separately, apart mm. from Aaron. Mm. Why did he want to talk to him? Well, we're going to find out when we get to the next Aliyah. Mm. So this is a separation of the team. Moses, I'm speaking to you only. Okay. Well, you said there were two. Well, no, that, no, that was the, the, the translation was, Uh-oh. Moses, I'm speaking only to you. Uh-huh. Because Aaron's not there. Fascinating. Um, I could be annoying and say that for that to make better sense in Hebrew, there wouldn't be a shva under the bet. There would be a um, a patach by he bayom. The biyom connects the yom diber, which makes for trans- it, it, it makes it better to translate it on the day that as opposed to on that day, right? It, it, it's almost like a smichut. But what day biyom diber? I don't know. On the day that God spoke to. Um, Moses, in which case it's hard to end that with a period. Um, Everett Fox translates it as you gotta get the microphone. Yeah. There's no, I mean, those, those bas and biz are not written in the Torah. So they're not written in the Torah. Correct. Um, And, and the Midrash is, um, flexible with many things well, well beyond the, the, the vowels. We, it's interesting. We both accept our version of the vowels as if it's halachala Moshe Sinai, but of course, there's drash all the time. The fact that you know, don't read it this way, read it that way. We've changed a letter, let alone a vowel. Everett Fox translates it as, "So it was on the day that because that's the biyom diber, not bayom, on the day that God spoke to Moshe, land of Egypt, comma, 
the next verse, right? So Everfox is doing it similar to JPS. How does Arya Kaplan translate the verse? Um, still on that day in Egypt, God spoke in brackets only to Moses. Oh, 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 yeah, okay. Saperstein says, and it was on the day that Hashem spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. Say that again, Renee. And it was on the day that Hashem spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. That's kind of halfway in between Everett Fox and, and uh, Arya Kaplan and Larry. Good. Um, even if, so, so, so Larry and Arya Kaplan's rendering is, is really well done, and it's still a little bit strange, right? It's a little bit strange to end there. And interestingly, who doesn't end the thought there? the Christian division of the Bible, right? Because in the Christian division of the Bible, that's verse 28, then you got verse 29, you got 30, uh, and then you get to the beginning of uh, the next chapter of the book of Exodus, which is their division, not ours. Doesn't, and when I say theirs, I'm not poo-pooing it, it's just the accepted division of the biblical text. Um, they, they decided that it should, be ended, it should end um, with what Moshe is about to say to Pharaoh, which is gonna also be redundantly redundant. Um, okay. Uh, does Rashi say, yeah, okay, so um, what, 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 what Rashi says on this is basically saying Arya Kaplan is wrong. Um, Elon, do you want to read Rashi on this? Um, um, and it was on this day uh, that um, spoke and finished? The uh, Gomer is, is, is etc. So he's quite, it just means dot, dot, dot. Oh. So he's so he's Is just quote the same root or yeah it means um it's a way of saying and um and the, and the, rest. So, and the rest and the stuff that would finish this verse but okay. it's just literally etc so so far that's just a quote from the verse and it was on the day that God spoke etc what does Raju say mechubar mechubar la mikra shel acharav and it is it is uh, tied to um, to the preceding, to the verse that comes after it. Correct. So the, what Rashi says is, if you're trying to make this verse stand alone, and I and I know why, reader, you're trying to make this verse stand alone because an aliyah ends here. It's a sofa. It's a sofa. Sofa aliyah. No, it's connected to the next verse. Mechubar, the root lechaber to to connect to associate. A same root from which we get the word friend, which is lovely. Friend means someone who is is connected to you, who is is tied to you. Okay. I should read Ibn Ezra. Let me, let me pull them up so we can read them together. Hold on a second. I, I, wake, up, I wake up most mornings thinking, you know what? I should read more Ibn Ezra. Um, okay. Uh, close this. This. Oh, I should share screen. Sorry, folks. Uh, okay. Commentary. Ibn Ezra. Okay, what, so walk us through it, because you read it and I have not. So, I'm not going to read the Hebrew, but... I'm not going to read... I'm 28, not, yeah. Can I read? I'm going to just read the translation that it, said, that it has. Okay. One may wonder why the arranger of the chapters did not connect this verse with what follows. So is what we talked about. When, in fact, it is dependent upon what comes next, which is what you and most brothers say. Though we know no reason for the above, we do know that they are connected. And then he quotes, on the day when, when the Lord spoke unto Moses in the land of Egypt, verse 28, and he, and, we was, 
what he told him was, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh. That's verse 29. Similarly, so it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people. Now it goes back to Dvarim, um, to, to, to Deuteronomy, and, and <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 16, which you maybe want to go to, but that's not what I found so amusing, is connected to that which follows it. So he's giving another example. But he, his last line is great. Perhaps the one who arranged the places to stop knew why he did this, as his mind was much greater than ours. That's great. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's richer even in the Hebrew. If you look where my cursor is, Ulai Baal Hahafzakot. Baal means the master of the divisions, right? <laughs> By the way, who do we think Ebenezer is referring to there? Is it God? Is it Moshe? Is it does it does he is he aware of the Masoretes? Right? It's un, it's unclear. Ibn Ezra, by the way, of the classic medieval commentators, is the only one who every once in a while winks winks at us and says, "I know that you know that I know that you know that there are some problems in the text here." Right? He does that when talking about Moshe writing about his own death. He's like, "Come on, guys! Like, uh, like yeah, of course God gave the Torah, but." And, but, and Moshe got at Sinai, but how, how do you square that Moshe wrote about his own death, right? He just, he breaks through, what's it called, like when Ferris Bueller talks to the camera, the third wall, he, he, he breaks through, it, right? And this is a little bit of that, because I don't know if he's somewhat jocularly referring to God here, right? The, the one who is in charge of all these divisions, whoever it was, yada lo tam, knew the reason, lam asakein, why it did that. They know more than us. That's very sweet. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Leonard, microphone. The JPS commentary points out that the Samach appears in some Hebrew texts, not in all of them. Really? Right. Meaning in some scroll, does that mean in some scrolls? In it's some not... Hebrew text, the letter Samach follows this verse and signifies the closing of a section, Parshas Duma. Yeah. However, as Rashi and Ibn Ezra note, this division contradicts the syntax, which requires that the clause be attached in the next sentence. Uh, should we pause and take a random Torah out of the ark and see if there's a, there's an opening there? Would that be interesting? Or maybe maybe after the class we can linger. Because... Oh, yeah. Rick, do you have a... Do you have a tikkun in front of you? It's like asking if a uh, if, if 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 it's downstairs. I can get it. Dog likes to sniff. Okay. Um, How dare you? I'll get my tikkun. Oh, sure. My mind went. Okay. If you get a tikkun, let let us know. Um, you know, some of our uh, most of our scrolls are called vav scrolls which means that every column but the first column begins with the letter Vav, and they are and, and it matches all other Vav scrolls in the Torah. It's an easier scroll to read, because if you're reading from a Tikkun that's, a vav, that's based on that, then where you are on the column in your preparation is where you're going to be in the scroll. It's, it's very hard to read from a non-Vav scroll, but we have a couple of non-Vav scrolls where it's just the sofa decided, you know, I, I can finish up to this when I get to this column, and I go to the next column, I'm not following any pattern. Um, I don't know if there is a difference in a Vav scroll versus a non-Vav scroll between where the openings are. I actually, until now, I don't think I had any knowledge of that not being 100% consistent. So that would be interesting to see if we actually have scrolls in our possession at Tumble Batham that don't agree that there should be an opening here. Okay, um, good. All right, we're on to the third verse of the day, which is amazing. Hello, no, stop. What? I, 
You asked me to get my tikkun. Yeah, and? So, um, after Mitzrayim, it's a, um, yeah, the, the, there's the opening. It's a satum. It's, it's not a full line, but there's an opening. There is. Okay. Uh, after Mitzrayim, before Vayedavir. Which would? It must be a situm also with the Varim. It, it's not open like a patuah. It, it's closed. There, there's a space there. There must also be a situm at Devarim, chapter 2, after verse 16. Let's take a look at that. That was the even as that was the even Ezra reference. It has nothing to do with the context. It only has to do with the way in which it's written. Uh, okay. So the Varim two sixteen. Yeah. Who wrote the separation for us in art in the Torah? I, <laughs> the, 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 I always thought it was you, Barbara. Thanks. <laughs> so according to, so let, no, I wouldn't have given a hanging <laughs> phrase like this. As yeah. a separation, so <laughs> thank you. Um, so, uh, Dvarim, if we go up a verse, Adonai Haitabam, the hand of God was on them, Luhumam, to make them panicky, Mikerava Machane, uh, from inside the camp, Adumam, until they died. Um, and it was, that's right, that when all the men in that situation uh, had died in their battle, and if you see the Samech, that suggests that there is a Parsha Stuma there, even though it's a very similar construction. That verse 16 clearly is meant to go right into verse 17. Good. Okay, uh, in the four minutes we have left, let's start reading at least verse 29, which is the first verse of the third Aliyah, which is, again, as we discussed very clearly, just a connecting thread from the previous verse. Um, uh, uh, Alan, you have a microphone near you. Want to read verse 29? Good. Read it again in Hebrew, pausing based on what you think the words mean, and you can use the trap to help you. Meaning and feeling. Okay. Ve'yadaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Ani Adonai. Pause. Right. See that etnachta under Adonai. Adonai. It seems that that it, we should probably read it as Ve'yadaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Ani Adonai. Daber el Paro melech mitzrayim et kol asher ani odiver alecha. And and now try to translate like that. Okay. Meaning it's not. I don't think it's Ani Adonai daber el Paro. I think it's. El Mosheli more on the Adonai. Okay, it says, and um, and God said to Moses, uh, uh, saying, "I am the Lord." Pause. Yeah. Speak to 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 Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, all the things that I told you about to say to him. Good, and 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 that word dover. It's interesting. We have another question as to what the tense is. We don't have that form in modern Hebrew. The because because in modern Hebrew the verb lidaber is only in pl, which means the present tense is always midaber. You can't as a verb say dover, but it's a adjectival noun. A dover is a speaker, right? Dover tzahal is the speaker of tzahal, and a speaker of Hebrew, right? But you can't use it as a verb. Um, 
and, and here, I don't think the meaning is I am the speaker to you, but the Torah is using it as a present tense verb. I, I speak to you. Elon, microphone. So, to, the, to the translation, why, wouldn't, why couldn't it be, and God spoke to Moses, um, saying, I am God who speaks, uh, that speaks to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything that I speak to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to say it to Pharaoh as well. Yeah. I mean, what, what's the, that's, I, I, that, that's not, it's not crazy. I mean, either translation is fine. I don't know why one would right. favor one over the other. The nitty gritty answer is that if we believe the vowels and the, and the points and the dots that, were, that have been received to us, then the daber is, can only be understood as a command form. And so if it's a command, it can't follow it's a command by God to someone. It can't be describing what God is doing. Is the belief that the Nikudot are divinely given, or or is it just that the Torah without the Nikudot and without the trope is, is what it is, and the, and it's man's interpretation or the interpreters of of what the what they believe the Nikudot should be? So would it be somehow? I don't want to say blasphemous because that would be too strong, but would it be? Uh, you know, um, would it be very? Um, uh, I, hear, I hear the question. Would, we, would it be very like, oh, I, I, you know, antagonistic the, to say no? Actually, right. the, why? Why do you? Why do we accept it as the Nikudot this way? Why couldn't it be this way? Two answers, and it's similar to what I said to Alan before. In order for us to all kind of ha have the same Torah. In general, we have to agree on a received tradition, right? And the received tradition, for better or for worse, that was that was um, uh, made um, and calcified and concretized by the Masoretes in the eighth and ninth century, has set every dot. Do we know that their reception from the hundred years before that years before that is accurate? No. But since that point, all people who love and study Torah have it basically accepted the placement of every every dot and every vowel. Well, but but there are examples even in Rashi himself where he goes, no, actually it should be this. Correct, and in fact, it's a it's a primary midrashic tool, right? Where the midrash says exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I know that it says daber, but I'm going to read it as dover or or diber or add a letter or change a letter, right? No, no, but not even changing a letter, just accepting the letters as they are. I mean, adding a letter is 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 one step beyond that, but just saying changing the right. kudot is not. But I'm saying the rabbis even permitted sometimes adding a letter. So certainly the rabbis would give themselves the right to be playful on where the vowels are. But I think the rabbis would say, if we could resurrect them, and I'm doing that for the sake of drash, but I know what the pshat is. I, I know the word is daber, and I, and I accept that. And I'm also building around that another midrashic scaffolding. Um, and, um, and, and I think that we're... When we study Torah closely, we're kind of constantly um, we're holding ourselves honest to the received tradition, and then also doing as we've already done several times today. Well, could it also not mean this? And might that open up another layer of meaning? It's nine thirty-two. Let's end it there. Thanks everyone for your understanding last week that I I was funeraling and could not be teaching, and I look forward to seeing you all next week, if not before. Have a good Wednesday, everybody. Mm -hmm.
You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.